Welcome to the 9394 Music Podcast with Travis Roy. On, God, I think it was my first episode, my pavement episode, I talked about my eighth grade English teacher, Mr. Taylor. If you know Mr. Taylor, if you had him as a teacher, you know that music was integral to how he taught or how he teaches, I guess. I mean, he's retired, but he's still... Once a teacher, always a teacher. You know, he's just one of those people. He, he's a, uh, I don't know. I don't want to mystify teachers because I am a teacher and uh, I have a, you know, grounded view about what kind of expectations are put on them, etc. But if you've ever had an inspiring teacher, then you know Mr. Taylor in a way. And I remember, you know, talking about pavement with him, talking about Beck with him, talking about. Uh, there was a Spanish band or Mexican band. What were they called? Like soda pop something, something. I can't remember, but like, you know, he's like introducing his students to international indie music, let alone USA's indie music, which was really fucking cool. We'd walk into his classroom every day and he'd have something playing. Now, one day I walked into his class and he was playing Def Leppard, which if I hear Def Leppard now in you know current times, I'm not unhappy about it by any stretch. At the time, I was a snide fucking 13-year-old, maybe 12-year-old, and (laughs) it was like, this isn't fucking ministry. This isn't Nirvana or whatever. This isn't something cool like he'd ordinarily would play. You know, I I was judging. I wish I could say it was the last time I ever spouted off about musical opinions, Um, you know, but now I've got a music podcast, so (laughs) go figure. But... I'll never forget. He took me out in the hallway and this was like the most pissed he ever was at me by a long shot, which is probably why I remember it so well. Cause mostly I have very, very you know good. I mean, this is a good memory too, in a way, which is why I'm sharing it with you. But mostly my interactions with him were very calm and he was very peaceful and very sweet and very kind and understanding. But in this case, like he was like, what the fuck more or less? He did not use that language, of course, but uh, in so many words, it was like, what are you doing? Just because you don't like something doesn't mean you have to walk into a room and shit all over it. What if somebody else's this is this part I remember very specifically, like what if someone else likes Def Leppard and they walk into the room and they're like, oh, fuck yeah, this is great. This puts me in a good mood. And then you come in and start spouting off about it and making them feel bad for liking it. And it stuck with me. Not as well as it should have at the time, but it, it was one of those seeds that got planted and resonated as time went on. You know, as I've stated before, and I'll state again, I was pretty judgmental about other people's musical tastes, but I did grow up, I think. Now, I'm thinking about teachers so much and students because on this episode of the podcast, I'm really happy to say that my former student, Pearl Jocelyn, came on to talk about Hole's 1994 album, Live Through This. Now, Pearl is a New Yorker, a intelligent young woman, and made a great choice in this album. So I had not listened to this album since it was brand new, and I didn't have the highest estimation of it. I'm not sure that I was as vocally opposed to it as I was, say, to Def Leppard Mr. Taylor's classroom that morning, but I certainly did not appreciate it. But in making the podcast, I completely understand it to be an important album of the era. So when Pearl reached out and said, yeah, I'd like to do that album on your show, I was like, fuck yeah, former student, finally a woman on my show. This is great. It'd be fantastic to connect with her. There's only so many former students that I'm still 
in touch with in any way, shape or form. But she and I had not spoken face to face, quote unquote, you know, Zoom face to face in several years. So it was really great to see her. And it was really great to dig into this album. Uh, As I will tell her, I think very highly of this album now. So I'm very happy that she came on the show because uh, I think I wouldn't have otherwise necessarily given this album its due. So here is me and Pearl talking about this classic 90s rock album. How's it going? Hey, Pearl. It's going good. How are you? Good. Thanks. It's really good to see you. Yeah, you too. Wow. How long has it been? When did I have you as a student? I was a freshman, so it would have been 2015. That's what I thought. 2015. Yeah. yeah you were you were in like I think the first, maybe second class that I taught that was like solely my own class. Oh wow. Yeah. And I, and I remember your class well. I remember your class really well. And I remember you really well, of course. And it's helped <laughs> that you, uh, you know, I, like <laughs> when I was teaching at Temple, one of the things I would kind of do earlier on, but less and less every semester was at the end of the class. I'd be like, hey, you know, I'm on Facebook. You can look me up on Facebook if you want to. And there's always like a few students I was kind of hoping would do it, but I didn't want to like specifically ask them. And I remember like in your class, it was you and Luke and Jake were all the students. I was like hoping let that y'all <laughs> And, uh, and everyone, and all three of you did. I've stayed in touch with the three of you, but I kind of did do that a little less every class. I don't know how creepy it was for a professor to be like, hey, stay in touch. But uh, I've enjoyed it. What have you been up to? A lot. I, uh, I When I took your class, I was a theater major at the time. That's right. But after that semester, I switched to being a history major. <laughs> Sorry. Then, Sorry about that. <laughs> if, I had, if I had any influence on that. <laughs> and then I added global studies later on. Uh, but oh. then after undergrad, I did a post-bac pre-medical program. Okay. So I'm working my way toward medical school now. Good. I love history and, I'm, and obviously you do too, but not a lot of money in the field, <laughs> <laughs> turns out. <laughs> yeah. I was planning originally on applying for PhD programs in mm-hmm. history, mm-hmm. but I also had other interests. And then I saw an article or something about how many people were graduating with PhDs in history. And how many jobs there were. And I was like, oh. Yeah, I wish I'd seen that article myself. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I certainly enjoyed teaching. I loved teaching. I mean, I still teach. I teach at the high school level now. Mm-hmm. But I'm happy for you that you found a path that seems to be the right one for you. What is it you're going to do? I'm not sure. I'm interested in pediatrics. Okay. Um, and I work in oncology research right now. So I'm interested oh, in that. Wow. Okay. Sounds potentially very heavy to combine those two yeah. things. Yeah. <laughs> All um, right. Yeah. <laughs> My God, like that's important work. That's cool. Yeah. Good. When I went to school. Oh. I'm excited to have you on because not only are you my first former student, not to gender things, but you are the first woman <laughs> I've gotten to get on this thing. I'm like, please, God, let me have some other perspectives besides just a bunch of dudes. Um, so thank you. And also I'm excited to have a younger person on because everybody that I've been doing this with, including myself, we were all 13, 14 years old, roughly around that time. So I'm really curious how you as a person, so if you were, I don't want to, you don't have to divulge your age if you don't want to, <laughs> clearly you were not 
alive, I don't think, when this album came yeah. out, correct? Yeah, I'm 25. So I was born in 1997. Okay. So then how did you come to this album? Well, I guess I I knew of Hole from mm-hmm. a really early age. We had Celebrity Skin on CD okay. and okay. we would listen to it on the drive to school at least Your mom? three or four times a week. My stepmom, stepmom would play it. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So that's how I knew of them. And then I hadn't really... I didn't know much about Courtney Love. Like, I didn't know who she was. I didn't know that she had been married to Kurt Cobain and had a kid with him, any of that. Okay. But I went to an after-school program called School of Rock. Okay, yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, it's like an after-school music program. Um, mm-hmm. And every semester we would do a show and they would choose a specific theme for the show. So I ended up one semester doing a show called Kurt Loves Courtney that was all Nirvana and Hole. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that's how I first was introduced to this album. So you had a cool teacher and a cool stepmom. Yeah. (laughs) With the 90s stuff. And you yourself, do you still play music? A little bit. Not enough. I used to play bass. So that was like my primary instrument. Um, I've always Mm -hmm. been a singer. I actually went to a performing arts high school for musical theater. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I knew you were in you know theater and all that stuff. I guess I didn't realize that music was such a big part of it. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting. I'm I'm kind of envious that you first got to listen to Hole without all the baggage. You got to just yeah. like listen to it and soak it in and not have to be like, oh, this is Kurt's wife or whatever. Like, yeah. like I did. That's fun. So do you have a physical copy of Live Through This now? I don't know. I should probably get one. I have a small but growing vinyl collection. Yeah, whenever that disposable income comes around, you're like, yeah, "Yeah, I'm going to spend money on something I could listen to for free. I do that, too. (laughs) Yeah, although most of my vinyls are from the, like, dollar bin. (laughs) Most of them have a couple scratches. (laughs) Yeah, same. I got a lot of wrinkled and bent edges on my my fold, you know, the the sleeves. Well, I went to school. (laughs) Before we actually start to get into the music of the album, which is ordinarily where I would go next... You're interested in history. I'm interested in history. I want to talk about the context of this album because the more I dug into it, the more I became amazed about the place in Courtney Love's life where she was at when this came out is like, they could literally make a movie about this and it would be incredible. So what do you know about the context around it coming out? So I know it came out, I think, what was it? Four days after Kurt Cobain's death? Exactly one week. He died on April 5th of 94, and it came out on the 12th of April, 94. Yeah. So that's really interesting to listen to it because you kind of realize like all of the songs on it were written before he died, Mm -hmm. but you can kind of see the issues that were building up, I think. Yeah. Which is really interesting. It's also interesting just in the context of like music at the time, especially Mm -hmm. um, I know Courtney Love is not a fan of the Riot Girl movement, which she specifically addresses on the album. Yeah, (laughs) she does. does I am not a feminist. Yeah, her famous line. (laughs) Yeah. So I think that's really interesting. I think it's also interesting. I don't know. I think you can kind of see like over time whole becoming more melodic. Okay. And I feel like this album's kind of in the middle of that. 
actually kind of prefer celebrity skin to live through this. Do you? That was after this, right? Yeah. Okay. I think just because I really like more melodic music than that makes sense. screamy music. But. <laughs> yeah, this album, um, full disclosure, I did not listen to this album like my whole life. I recognize it as an important album from the era, and I really wanted to talk to you about an album. So I was like, yeah, let's fucking do it. But I'm so glad that you picked it because the first note I made to myself after I listened to it last week, I'd heard the singles before, and I'm sure that I'd heard the album like, you know, in a friend's sister's room at some point when I was like 13, 14, which bear that in mind. That's the age I was. <laughs> but like, literally, here's my note. Uh, literally disappointed that the album is over. I wanted more. I'm a fool who missed out for years on this. That was my note to myself. I fucking missed out because I was. All right. So there's a very specific kind of misogyny. Right. Which is like the maligned woman misogyny, as a friend of mine, Amanda, pointed out to me about Courtney Love. She is like the Hillary Clinton of punk rock. Right. Like this person just kind of got like piled on for simply being famous at a certain time. And it's almost like when someone as famous as Kurt Cobain and I hate because, you know, I did an episode about the Nirvana Unplugged album. We didn't talk about Courtney Love at all. And I hate that yeah. like, I've got to talk about Kurt Cobain with her. I don't mm -hmm. I don't want to do that. But it was such a big part of her life and the and the shit that got piled on about her, including, I mean, it just had its, what, 29-year anniversary last week. And I still see people being like, yeah, you know, Kurt wrote that album. Yeah. Kurt wrote that. That came up a lot when I was reading a bit about the history of the album. Frustrating. You never yeah. thought that, did you? No. <laughs> of course you didn't. <laughs> I think partially because I grew up listening to Hole without all of the baggage that comes with Courtney Love. You know, I never repeated that rumor, but I bought into it for a long time because mm -hmm. I could be smart and not just disclose every thought that I've ever had in public, <laughs> like I'm about to. But I'm ashamed to admit that there were years that I was like, I think Courtney Love may have been responsible for Kurt's death, which I really wish I'd never done that. I never published anything about it. But, you know, at the occasional party or something, like in my late teens and early 20s, it came up and I thought about that, but that kind of, I've gotten over that over the years. So to get back to my earlier point about when this came out, like this album came out a week after her husband's death and she's one of the most attacked celebrities in the country before even that happens. Mm -hmm. Not only is she re like dealing with the fact that he's killed himself, which I'm sorry, but it's kind of, I mean, suicide, I don't judge, but also what a dick move to kill yourself a week before your wife's huge album comes out. It just seems like you're really shitting on her parade. And the sky was made of amethyst. And all the stars are just like little fish. You should learn when to go. And we didn't talk about the fact that she was struggling with heroin addiction at the time. Mm -hmm. She's recording this album in October of 93 when she has a one-year-old on her hip that CPA is like knocking on her door about. Yeah. I mean, and then what, two months after it comes out, the bass player, Kristen Paff, dies of heroin overdose. Yeah, I think it's really crazy. You know, I, I'm not a huge Nirvana fan anymore, but I would listen to them a lot in high school and undergrad. And in all the years of being interested in Nirvana and stuff, I never heard a single thing about Kurt Cobain being a bad dad. Right, but he was doing all the same things that she was doing. Yeah. Right next to her, right? Yeah. That's a great point. That's a great point. And, and that's, 
I think that that's something that's been excessively unfair towards her is that you know, the accusations that he wrote the album for her, like, hello, they came from the same exact scene. They were into the same yeah. exact music. They would get fucked up and listen to the same music together for years. Like, it just, mm-hmm. like, I don't know. It's very strange. Let's get into the music itself, though. Sound good? Okay. Yeah, sounds good. One above and one below. So, have you been listening to it a lot? <laughs> I have, yeah. I have too. I've actually been starting almost like every morning with it. It's a really good morning <laughs> album. Like it just puts me in like the mood, you know? Yeah, I like to. I've been listening to it on the bus ride to work. Nice. Gun to your head. Favorite song on the album? Hmm. Um, I love Miss World. I am the girl you know can't look. I think that's probably the first song from this album that I heard. Yeah, I think it was the first single. Yeah, and it's the one I've had like most on repeat, I think. Let me see. I, also, I like Rockstar a lot. Rockstar is my favorite. Yeah, album. that's a good yeah. one, which I actually didn't realize that it was mistitled oh, really? on the album. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what the original title was. She pulled the actual song called Rockstar, but they had already apparently printed the sleeves for the album oh it was like too late so it just remained being called that as a kid i remember not getting that there's something that's very tongue-in-cheek she's not but again like i was so unfamiliar with it and not thinking very critically about it i was like oh she thinks she's a rock star (laughs) yeah i heard the album like once but listening to it now i'm like this song is kind of genius no we're not done The way that she laughs and talks and you can really hear it being recorded and like she's kind of like, oh, no guys, we're still going, like that whole moment. It's so clever and just really interestingly recorded. But to go back to Miss World, that also kind of for me goes into where it's not great that I was alive for when this came out because Miss World and Doll Parts were the two big singles and Violet. Mm-hmm which is an amazing song, but was the third single. So by that point, I wasn't paying as much attention. But those first two singles were really popular and like kind of overplayed. And like that beginning of Doll Parts start and it's like, oh God, it's here it is again. I like, <laughs> I like changed the channel, you know? Yeah. But you know, listening to it now, I'm like, oh, this stuff is, I mean, it's, it's really well written and it's really, really well recorded, like the yeah. production value. Yeah, definitely. I can't think of a song that I particularly think is the worst song or that I dislike on the album. That's good. That's yeah. good. Yeah. I mean, you don't, yeah, it's not a requirement. <laughs> There's not really a down point on the album, is there? I mean, it kind of picks up and it goes through the whole, maybe credit in the straight world, maybe is, is, is kind of where it kind of starts to be like, eh, it's still going. Uh, but then it picks back up with She Walks on Me, which is mm-hmm. such a badass song. Yeah. It's like punk rock. You 
said earlier, it kind of like straddles this melodic and like tough kind of sound. Like you can really get like some hardcore punk and some grunge sounds, but some really melodic kind of jangly classic rock sounds. It's fun. Yeah. All right. So no least favorite song. Do you have any criticism for the album? I think I'm a terrible music critic because I just like the songs that I like and I don't really think too hard about them. That's, I feel there's like. nothing wrong with that. But I definitely, like I said, I prefer more melodic music. Mm. So some of the screaming I understand, and I think it serves a purpose, just not as much my style of music. <laughs> Understood. Understood. I think that writing lyrics is really hard. And I think that a lot of the lyrics that she has on this are really, really good, especially conceptually good. Like Jennifer's body, she's saying so much more by telling this story. Yeah. Or plump. I'm like listening to Plump. I'm like, oh shit, she has some conflicted feelings about Francis Bean, I think. Yeah. <laughs> My only real complaint for this album is uh, there's like three songs about milk. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's a lot of milk references. I know, yeah. One of the lines is actually, um, your milk has a dick, which is not a good line. It's just not. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's terrible. <laughs> I hadn't noticed that line before. <laughs> it's literally a lyric from Softer Softest. I'm like, okay. Which, by the way, is one of the songs that Cobain sung back up on. He sung back up on that, and I think oh, asking for it, which I you can't tell at all, right? Yeah. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if anything, it's worse that he did because it helped feed the rumors because she didn't appear on any of his stuff, which would have been cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Do you have any other memories like tied specifically to this album or maybe just a whole in general or Courtney Love or anything? I have a very distinct memory. My stepsister, when we would listen to Celebrity Skin in the car, she loved the song Northern Lights. Okay. So I have like a distinct memory of her always singing along to that. <laughs> so your stepsister and your stepmother. So it's been very much like in the ether for you. Whole. Yeah. And I definitely, my mom is a musician. She has been for my whole life. Okay. And I think probably one of the things that kind of draws me to whole is just that I grew up going to my mom's shows. And for most of my childhood, she was in a band called Owl Motel that was all female. Owl Motel? Yeah. Did they get national recognition? No, I don't think so. Um, but they have a few music videos up on YouTube. What kind of music? It was, I guess, I don't know really how to describe it. It was rock. But I grew up going to a lot of their shows and spending a lot of time. I would go to the Sidewalk Cafe in Manhattan with them for their concerts and stuff. Are you from New York then? Yeah, I grew up in Brooklyn. And you just came to Philadelphia to Temple just for school? Yeah. And then I ended up, I love Philly. I ended up staying there for eight years. God, I love Philly too. I miss it. Yeah. But my boyfriend's a uh, resident physician now and he matched to residency and just north of New York City. So we moved back here. Well, it's good to be where you have stomping grounds. 
Yeah. <laughs> but I definitely think, I don't know, I grew up around a lot of female rock musicians. So it was kind of cool that that was always something that was normal for me. Yeah. And I grew up, I loved rock music when I was little, but I was also very girly. <laughs> I loved my American Girl dolls, and I uh -huh. loved, I used to wear pioneer kind of dresses to elementary school and stuff with my vans and skateboard around the yard. So that's super cool, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so I think Courtney Love always appealed to me because she definitely brings together those two things. And she sometimes has these, like, the way she presents herself is sometimes very hyper-feminine, but she has this kind of rough rock edge to her. I think it's really great, though. You've had a lot of really positive influences in your life, musically and whatnot, it seems. Yeah. That's great. Have you been following her and the stuff that she's put out since? Or you just kind of like stick I to it? I haven't her? really. I have a terrible habit of discovering an album by a band and only listening to that one album. Mm -hmm. So I think in high school, like toward the end of high school or maybe early undergrad, I discovered The National. Oh, so and good. I only listened to one album by which them one? for like i'm trying to remember which album i started with but i only listened to that album for years and i yeah. just in the past year or so expanded and now i've listened to their entire discography and i know a bunch of songs now that i love oh they're so good yeah but that's exactly how i've been most of my life <laughs> like some of my favorite albums i would listen to them religiously for instance, Pavement, my first episode was about Pavement's Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain, which I listened to over and over again until I was about 25, 24. And then I was like, I should probably check out some of their other stuff. So, yeah, I think that's kind of a natural thing for people to do, even bands that they like. Yeah, it was Trouble Will Find Me is the album that I listened to a lot. And I had never like gone further back or forward <laughs> until they, I think when they released I'm Easy to Find, I listened to that a lot. Yeah, I think Trouble Will Find Me is probably my favorite album of theirs, too. Yeah, I love them. And I'm shocked I never listened to any of their stuff. They actually lived in my neighborhood in Brooklyn. Oh, really? And they have a song called The Geese of Beverly Road that's yeah. about the road that ran right behind my house. That's so funny. <laughs> you could have yeah. walked out, shake their hand. Yeah. So you've never seen Whole Live, I take it? I have not, no. I've never seen Whole Live either, but uh, I guess it'd be kind of hard to now. I mean, because Eric Erlinson is the only other guy that really kind of was always around and in the band for most of the time, but he's not anymore. All right, so we got a couple other questions for you before we go. What track from this album would you want to use as like your outro? Probably Miss World. Miss World? Yeah. That's your jam from this album. Okay. We'll, yeah. We'll use that as the exit music for you. Okay. Great. Then I've got one last question for you, unrelated to anything whole. So <laughs> I like to ask questions about the 90s to my guests. Um, you were not conscious or like cognizant for much of it so i thought well what can i throw at pearl <laughs> so what i've gone with 
is as seen on TV gadgets that were available at this time. So I'm going to ask you about five different gadgets from the era, and you can tell me which one you think is the best. Which one would you use? (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. All right. And I will probably have to explain them to you because like they're very time specific and some of them aren't around (laughs) anymore. So here are your options. A big commercial from the 90s was blue blockers. Blue blockers were these really huge sunglasses that blocked ultraviolet waves and like blue light. Blue blocker sunglasses. They're really different. My name is Geek. I put them on as a shocker. Man, I love these blue blockers. Everything is clear. They block out the sun. Oh, yeah. I got to get me some. I don't know why you'd have to buy them on TV. You couldn't just like go to the store, but this is an option. Blue blockers. You know what the George Foreman grill is? Yes. Okay. So the George Foreman grill was released in 1994, same year as this <laughs> album. Uh, healthy grease dividing contraption. That's an option. Uh, another kitchen item. Actually, a few of these are kitchen items. The super slicer, which is essentially just like a tomato slicer. That's it. I mean, it had like six different settings. I don't know, but that's an option. Cooking with Kathy, there was this thing in the, it was really from the 80s, but it was still around, like being advertised in the 90s, this thing called Micro Crisp. And it was like, you know how if you buy a, like a microwave pizza, like a single individual, you put it on that little tray that has like that silverish kind of death trap feeling glossy <laughs> thing that like conducts the heat. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it was like that stuff, but like you could like pull it off a strip. Think of like aluminum foil, like on a roll, but it's that kind of thing. So you could just wrap food in it and put it in your microwave and cook it that way. That's an option for you if you want that. Lastly, the phone relief hands-free headset, which we actually had at my house, which was like this big plastic contraption because, you know, we had phones with the actual loop-de-loop cords attached (laughs) and then like you could stick this big contraption to it so you could like kind of hold it up against your head and have your hands free. Is talking on the phone getting out of hand? Look out! You need phone relief. The ultimate in hands-free phone design. Office work is a pain for Mr. Phone in the Neck, but you won't miss a beat with hands-free freedom. So these are your options. The blue blockers, George Foreman grill, super slicer, micro crisp, or the phone relief hands-free headset. What are you going to go with? Hmm. I think the micro crisp. That actually sounds like a good idea. (laughs) All right. I hate when you reheat leftovers and they get all soggy. So. You know, I didn't think about that. It'd be good for leftovers. All right. Well, that yeah. will be uh, shipped to you um, in your home in New York. Just keep an eye out for that. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be right on top of that for you. <laughs> uh, any other things you wanted to say about Hole or about the album before we go our separate ways? Oh, going back to you were saying earlier, you bought into the Courtney oh, killed yeah, Kurt stuff. Should talk about. It. I don't want to, but I do want at the same time. I'm just ashamed. <laughs> but go ahead. When I was in that Kurt loves Courtney mm-hmm. show, I started learning a bit more about her life, and I definitely watched a few of the conspiracy theory documentaries. At the time, I was kind of like, I mean, I don't think so, but I guess it could have happened. She could have killed him. That's kind of where I was too. Yeah, which I'm also kind of ashamed about having believed it was even possible for a bit. I mean, I think it's just the result of how we're conditioned to treat women, especially women who've struggled with addiction issues. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, he was already vilified. 
Yeah, there's a great book that I read as part of a book club during my post-fact pre-med mm-hmm. program called Killing the Black Body. And there's an entire chapter in it all about how motherhood is criminalized among women who struggle with substance abuse. Mm-hmm. And I definitely think, I mean, obviously, Courtney blew up and made a lot of money. Yeah. So she had some privilege from that. And she had more access, I think, to treatment and things like that. Good but point. I mean... I think it's definitely evident that she was treated very differently by society than Kurt was. Yeah. And I think that hopefully, I feel like we're starting to see her legacy be more respected. Yeah. She's starting to get more respect as time goes by. Uh, I, it bummed me out on that anniversary a couple of weeks ago of this album to see people still kind of repeating those rumors. But at the same time, on the post that I saw in this like Facebook 90s music thing that i'm a part of everybody jumped on and was like dude what are you talking about like no this is bullshit why are you still doing this so the the overall majority at least in this you know anecdotal incident was that people seem to be coming around and not shitting on her so much which is good i feel like she's kind of had definitely a a wealthy life and like a rock star life not a kind of person i ordinarily have a lot of sympathy for but it seems like she's had a kind of a rough go of it so i'd like to see yeah And I definitely, I think there's been kind of a shift in general um, and how we look back on how women were treated in Mm -hmm. the media in that era. I'm a big fan in my free time of watching like YouTube pop culture deep dives where people make like a two hour video all about how Britney Spears was treated by the media or how Miley Cyrus was treated by the media in the 2000s. It was ugly. And it's interesting just looking back at those and being like, as a little kid, I saw all this stuff about Britney and I was just like, yeah. I just thought what the media was saying about her. And it's unfortunate how much it impacted her life. And I think I did a similar thing with Courtney Love. I was young and not that that's a huge excuse, but you know, it's like you had the media telling you something about a specific person. You're like, yeah, that person sucks. And you know, and you get a little more perspective as you get older. You're like, oh, we just piled on them for no good reason. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm really happy that you came on. It's been great talking to you. And I'm, again, just like super thankful that you have reintroduced me to this album because I'm going to listen to it a lot, actually. And I'm going to I'm gonna look into Celebrity Skin. I'm like, I think I'm a whole fan now. I think that you did that. So thank yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Yeah, me too. I'm definitely, I'm going to keep an eye out for it in my uh, dollar vinyl bins. <laughs> awesome. All right. Thanks again. That was me and Pearl talking about Hole and their album, Live Through This. And uh, talk about good timing. She didn't leave without saying goodbye to me there. Our connection went bad and she like, you know, vanished. All of a sudden it just, you know, she disappeared. She came back to say goodbye, you know, of course, properly and all that. But it was just just funny timing. We talked about her mother's band, The Owl Motel. You heard a little bit of the song Green-Eyed Monster there. Her mom plays bass. If you liked what you heard there, you can check out more just by Googling The Owl Motel on YouTube. There's a, there's quite a few songs there. What a pleasure to talk with Pearl. She is just, you know, she's just really, she's a real bright light. 
And I'm really excited that younger folk, the youngins, the young people, that some of them are into 90s music, you know, that it, it carries over. So it was cool talking to her and catching up. She will be on the show again, I hope. She says she wants to, so I'm going to try and hold her to it. If you want to be on the show, you are welcome to. You can contact me at 9394podcast at gmail.com or check the usual social media sites other than Instagram. You can talk about whatever album you want to talk about from 93 or 94. A suggestion that I have is another underrated band. I mean, there's a lot of underrated bands from the era, but I feel like one of the most underrated bands is Bob Mould's band, Sugar. They had two awesome releases in 93 and 94, the EP in 1993 called Beaster, and then the full-length album File Under Easy Listening, which for me is my favorite... ass and you're hearing a little bit from that right now if you want to come on the show and talk about sugars file under easy listening or virtually any other album from 1993 or 1994 give me a shout all right we'll leave it at that i'm recording this on a weekend and i have very little to do at the moment it's really nice i mean there's always something i could come up with doing don't get me wrong but it's nice to have a little free time i hope you have a little free time and just enjoy yourself enjoy your life enjoy existence I'll see you later. Or I'll talk to you later. Yeah, that makes more sense. A music podcast with Travis Roy is a labor of love. It is not and never will be monetized. Please don't sue. Good.